Our text this morning is found in the Old Testament in the 119th Psalm. It's a familiar passage of scripture that I'm sure all of us have heard at one point or another in our lives, yet it speaks volumes to us in spite of its size. What you'll find in the 119th chapter in the book of Psalms at the 133rd verse in particular reads in this fashion order my steps in your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me let me read that again order my steps in your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me as we speak this morning to the subject follow the leader amen. amen follow the leader one of the easiest games to play is just that follow the leader all it entails really is you just watching the individual that's been designated the leader and doing whatever he or she does the only way you can really be put out of the game is if you stop following the leader because the concept of the game is that the emulation of the leader is ultimately designed to lead you to victory. Yet when we look at this particular passage of scripture in this particular book of the Bible, which is a hymn book of the Bible, we see something that is a microcosm of us as children of God. It's funny how the most fundamental lesson of following our father who was our leader which is the key to victory is housed in the longest book of the Bible it took the longest time and it takes the longest time for the average reader of the word of God to get to this fundamental truth because this fundamental truth is found in the longest book of the Bible I say it's a microcosm because so many of us go through life playing games with God amen we, we, we play the, 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 the money game uh, with, with our tithes and our offering. We play the, the, the shell game with our prayer. We play, the, we play now you see me, now you don't when it, when it comes to worship and fellowship. But God is saying, in the midst of all the games that you play with me that I don't want you to play, the only game that I desire you to play is follow the leader. My word lets you know that if... You abide in me, and my word abides in you. You can ask for whatever you want, and it will be given unto you. Yet far too many of us are aspiring to ask God for things, and because he loves us, he grants the things that we need according to his will. But we can unlock an even greater dimension of the things that God has for us if we would just allow him to order our steps. If we would just follow the leader I was never overly good at the game follow the leader because I, I had a bad habit of getting distracted with stuff I was one of those stereotypical little boys a proverbial shiny object ooh let me look at that but so often the enemy uses the shiny objects of a person or the shiny objects of gain or the shiny objects of accolades to take our eyes off of the leader and when our eyes are off God like Peter began to do uh, when he walked out, out, out on the water out of the boat. 
we begin to sink. Because we start looking around at other stuff and take our eyes off God. We look at the plight of our world today and we wonder, how do we get in this predicament? Lord, what can we do? The first thing we can do is get our eyes back on God. If we take our eyes off of everything that's going on around us that we can't control and focus on the one that is in control, we can then be placed in the proper position to do what we need to do to make an impact. The Bible says one can put a thousand to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. So based on my math, three can put 100,000 to flight. Four can put a million to flight. In this sanctuary, we have enough literally to change the world. But it starts with us making sure that we're in tune and in lockstep with God. And it's not by chance that God put this particular passage of scripture in the hymn book of Israel. Because it's a testimony and a praise that even in the midst of our struggle, even in the midst of our abandonment, even in the midst of our dark places, if we cry out to God, God, order my steps in your word. He'll bring us through. And bring us to where he desires us to be. See, we have to understand in context that the, the, the writing of this particular passage of scripture, this portion of verse by the psalmist David, the, writer, the, the, the writing of this didn't mean that Israel was at the end. But it meant that it was a turning point. Like when you watch a good movie, there's a point, there's a turning point when things are about to turn around. Prophetically, God is speaking to us to let us know that the moment that we in earnest from the, our heart of hearts and from our souls utter, Lord, order my steps in your word. That's a turning point in our lives. That's us saying, God, I'm desiring to follow you. I'm ready to follow you. I'm willing to follow you. I'm able to follow you. And when we bring our spirit and our soul and our body in alignment right. behind God, right. the word manifests itself where it says, I can do all things. Through Christ, who strengthens me. Because we have a new sense of power, a new ability to do that's at work in us. But this passage of scripture lets us know that in order to tap into that, we have to follow the lead of the Father in order to effectively win souls for the kingdom. We can't win nobody over if we're doing our own thing. Far too many of us that have said yes to Jesus are following the wrong shiny objects and not following God. And we have to realize that when we think we're not being watched, that's when we're being watched the closest. And every individual is tied to us. Every individual that makes moves as a result of what we have or have not done in representation, representation, excuse me, of God. We're responsible for. We're going to be judged on everything that we do. In the last day, every thought, word, and deed done in this body. In other words, we're supposed to have a life-changing impact on others. We're supposed to make a difference. God didn't create us to stay in the shadows. God didn't create us to be of none effect. God didn't create us to be the, the every man, but he created us to be different. He created us to be a peculiar people. He created us to be a royal priesthood. He created us to be a holy nation. He created us to be somebody. To somebody that transcends the color of our skin. To somebody that transcends the, our ethnicity. To somebody that transcends where we live. Because we're just passing through here. And in passing through here, 
We need to leave an impact so much so that people want to take the path that we're on. But we have to live our lives like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I want you to follow me, but I don't want you to follow me because of me. I want you to follow me because the one that you see in front of me and the one that I represent. So the question is begged in this instance, how do we follow the lead of the Father in, in our practical living? How do we do this on a daily basis? How can we make a practical impact in the lives of others? That they might not see us, but they might instead see God. The first way we can do it is by understanding that sin is present in our lives, but God's word is his present to us for eternal life. Amen? Sin is present in our lives. Don't get it twisted. Don't think for a moment that any of us are living sinless, that any of us are living above sin. If sin has not come to your door yet, I'm here to let you know it's on its way. If sin is at your door, I'm here to let you know whether you open it or not, it's going to try to find its way in. But I'm also here to let you know that there's a way to remedy sin. No matter what state it might be in your life, there is a remedy to sin and that remedy is the word of God. The word of God is a catch-all no matter what the enemy can send our way. No matter what the enemy se seeks to bring against us. No matter how high the enemy rises against us. The Bible tells us that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that God lifts up a standard against him. That standard that's been lifted is the word of God. When this was written, the children of Israel were in captivity. They were in captivity, quite frankly, because they chose not to obey God. God told them, let me be your king. They said, we don't want you to be our king. We want this man to be our king. God's like, I don't want, this is not what you want. I'm telling you, follow me. If you follow me, I got you covered. Let me be your king. Children really said, we don't want you. To be our king. We want to go over here. Kind of sounds like us when we were teenagers. I don't want to do what you said do. I want to go over there. I don't want to do my homework. I want to hang out with my friends. I don't want to go to church. I want to go hang out and party. But what happens is when you find yourself at your lowest point, those words come back to your remembrance. And it's something about the word of God, no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're going through, the word of God is always appropriate. It's always just what you need. Like money at Christmas time, it's always the right size. It's always in style. It always fits. And it always makes a difference. Even David, who fell prey to the sin of adultery, because of the relationship that he had with God, God recognized him in the Hall of Fame of Faith as a man after God's own heart. Even David understood the power of the word. Because when we falter and when we fail, notice I said when and not if. When we falter and when we fail, we can be given another chance. Because in the game of the follower, in the game of follower leader, depending on what rules you play by, you may get like a one-off. You may get like two strikes, you may get like three strikes, which means you can make a mistake two times. But the third time you're out of the game. 
And I'm so glad that we serve a God that is not a God of three strikes and not a God of ten strikes and not a God of a hundred strikes, but he's a God of countless opportunities to get it right because he knows that it's a heart decision. And it's not left up to our flesh. Even in the midst of David's sin, because David was a man after God's own heart, he understood the power of the word. And he said in the 51st chapter of Psalm, in the first verse, he actually, he actually wrote and recreated what he said actually in the second book of Kings. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. He took the word in the midst of his situation and applied it to his situation. And what happened is that when he applied the word to his situation, if you go and look in the second uh, book of Kings and also in the second book of Chronicles, you see that God did hear his prayer. He did hear his prayer and bring him through. It didn't mean that he didn't have to pay a price for what happened. But what it meant was, even though the price had to be paid, God's grace blessed him to bring him through. And he still experienced a life that wanted him to be qualified to enter into the Hall of Fame. See, so many of us get it twisted and thinking that God can't help us because we're too far gone. Can I let you in on a little secret? We're gone no further than God can see us. We're gone no further than God's will is for us to go because God knows everything about us. The Bible tells us before uh, I, I knit you in your mother's womb, I knew you. God knew us before we were a twinkle in our parents' eye. Which means he knew everything there was to know about us. He knew our down-sitting, as the word says. He knew our uprising, as the word says. He, know, he knew when we were going to get it right. He knew when we were going to get it wrong. He knew everything there was to know about us. Heck, he knows the number of hairs on our head right now. He knows how many more beats of our heart we have left and how many more breaths in our body we have left in this thing called life on this side. And because he knows these things, he knows that if we would just take his word and apply his word to every situation, that his word is the gift that he's given us that gives us eternal life. Hallelujah. It's an open book test. The Bible says, behold, I place before you life and death, blessings and curses. I'm here to let you know, choose life. It's an open book test. Literally, if we open the book, the words that we need, can transcend the situation that we're in. All we have to do is open the book, but more importantly, as we open the book to study, the Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved unto him. Because as we open the book, the God, God then opens the book in us and the word becomes active and alive in us. And when the word becomes active and alive in us, we can overcome anything. Doesn't mean we're not going to go through tribulation. But it lets us know that in the midst of the tribulation, that the word is what keeps us. Second, Thess Second Thessalonians tells us in the first chapter in verses 6 and 7, in part, that since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. How is the Lord revealed in a situation? It's revealed through his word. When we put the word on a situation, we're calling God into the equation. When we put the word on a situation, we're invoking the angels that we've been given charge over to act and to move. 
when we pray God's word, God is stirred on the throne. It's like, wait a minute. He hears that above all the noise of all the other clamor. One of the things that my pastor taught me early in my Christian walk is that praying the word is how you get God's attention. God isn't moved by all the long words that you use. God isn't moved by all the genuflecting that we do. God's not moved by all the extra. What moves God is his word. Speak his word to him because God will hold himself accountable to his word because the word says that heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of his word comes back void so if in the midst of sickness we pray father you said in your word by his stripes we are healed you said in your word that healing is a children's bread father you said in your word that you sent your word and healed them and delivered them from every man of disease so I'm standing on your word that God you will do what your word says do Guess what God has to do? What his word says that he would do. We have to understand that as we follow the leader by realizing that the word works, we put ourselves in position to walk in victory. Which leads us to the second way that we do this. And that's by realizing that every act in our lives has been eclipsed by Christ's selfless act on Calvary. Amen. Amen. No matter what we do, what Jesus did on the cross was a climax of act one. If you've ever been to a play, you know that there's usually an intermission in the play. And right before you go to intermission, there's usually a big finale. Especially if it's a musical, there's a big finale. When my fiance and I went to see uh, Hamilton, there, there was a big, you know, musical finale at the end of the first act, where you know, basically the song brought you all the way back through everything that happened up to that point, and it left you in a state of awe. But more importantly, catch this: it left you anticipating the next act. Christ's act on the cross and him rising three days later and ascending into heaven was the culmination of everything that had happened from Genesis up to that point and it leaves us as believers anticipating the next act but it goes further than that it leaves us in a position to advocate to draw people in you all need to come in and catch the next act let me tell you about what happened in the first act we're just in intermission right now when Jesus comes back you need to be in the audience because when he comes back he's got something for everybody that's here for him. He's got a parting gift that literally has eternal consequences. And that act eclipses everything that's going on in our lives. No matter what actions we take, it doesn't matter because of what Jesus did on Calvary. Does it mean that I'm giving us a license to sin? No, it doesn't. What I'm saying is that in the midst of our sin, what the enemy tries to do is mess with our minds to make us think that we're not worthy of what God has for us. That we're not worthy to do the work that he's called us to do. That we're not worthy to walk in the destiny that he's called us to walk in. But the Bible lets us know that we're sinners saved by grace. The Bible lets us know that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed 
our sins from us. The Bible lets us know that he's cast our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. So here in our text, in the midst of the plight that the children of Israel were in, they remembered the word that was spoken to them. They remembered that once they bring God's word back to him, that he would move. So they said, in the midst of our plight, God, order my steps in your word so that no iniquity would have dominion over me. No sin that comes in my life would have dominion. To, to, uh, and iniquity is something that happens on the inside. And the one thing, and I did this in a series a few years back on the blood. Every place that Jesus shed blood in his trip to and through Calvary was designed to deliver us at every point. If you remember, it said that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Remember that? A wound is something that draws blood on the outside. Right? Somebody gets shot, somebody gets stabbed, you get cut, you bleed, right? Blood is what delivers us and sets us free from sin. Transgression is the actual act that we do of sin. So when he was wounded for our transgressions, the blood that was shed covered every negative act that we've ever done and places us in right standing with God so that we are qualified to still follow the leader. Because in the Old Testament, if the, the leader uh, found that you were not qualified, it was curtains for you. But it goes further than that. And this is the point that God is trying to make here. And this is the reality that the children of Israel were speaking when they said this. He was bruised for our iniquity. A bruise is the shedding of blood on the inside. Like if you bump your leg and you get a, and you get a bruise. A bruise is nothing more than a blood vessel that has burst and you're bleeding on the inside. Internal bleeding, if it's not dealt with rapidly in some cases, can lead to death. Iniquity is sin that begins on the inside because every sin begins with a thought. David's sin began with a thought after what he saw. Had he been where he was supposed to be, and this is where so many of us miss it, had David been where he was supposed to be, he never would have had to even pin this in this fashion. Because he was at home while his troops were battling, he saw Bathsheba bathing on the roof. He never would have seen her had he been where he was supposed to be. And far too many of us find ourselves and find ourselves in the David syndrome. We're places where we don't need to be. And because we're in places where we don't need to be, we see something or hear something or perceive something that places a thought in our minds that puts us in a position to make it and to, to make and create an act that God is not pleased with. However, it says right here in the word of God, order my steps in your word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. In other words, God, order my steps in your word and keep me mindful of your word so that when I want to act out of pocket, let me remember that whatever act I take has already been transcended and eclipsed by the selfless act that Christ made on the cross. 
No matter what I do, it doesn't matter because nobody's watching what I do. Nobody remembers what I do. But what they remember is what Christ did six hours one Friday. What they remember is how Christ cured every disease known to man by taking those 40 stripes. By those 40 stripes, we are healed. No matter what disease there is in the world right now, scientists trace the diseases, every disease in the world, name one, they trace every disease back to 40 basic strains. Jesus has 40 stripes. Each one of those stripes shed blood. Each one of those stripes and the blood from each one of those stripes covers each and every one of those strains. So no matter what it is, we're covered. No matter what's happening, we're covered. We have to realize, though, that we still are creatures of choice. And we can choose to act outside of God's lead. And God is willing to take us back, but he's letting us know, why would you want to act outside of my lead? Because at some point in time, I'm going to call you home. And if I call you home where you're outside of my lead, it's going to be a problem. So our ongoing prayer should be the prayer that, that, that David penned back in the 19th chapter of the hymn book. In verse 13, he wrote, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Remember, transgression, the act starts with iniquity in the mind. But if we make the conscious decision to step away from presumptuous sin or sin by choice, we can then be found blameless before God. We can make the decision and we can choose to walk up right before God. We can make the decision and we can choose to be a blessing and not a curse. We can make the decision and choose to live a life that's a reflection of God instead of being contrary to God. But it's up to us to choose. See, when you play for all the leader, that game really comes down to a matter of choice. You can either choose to keep following the person that's in front because some of the stuff the person that's doing in front may be stupid to you. May not, you may not understand it. Kind of like us as parents. Our kids think that we're crazy at certain points in their lives. That the stuff that we are asking them to do is anathema to them. How dare you ask me to get up and clean my room? What do you mean I got to take out garbage? I got to wash who? I don't wash dishes. But when they get on their own, they realize that what we were trying to tell them was not meant to hurt them, but it was meant to help them. So often we do the same thing to God. Lord, what do you mean I can't have that? What do you mean I can't do that? Everybody else is doing it and they seem to be all right. We're not like everybody else. We're not like everybody else. God didn't create us to function like everybody else. He didn't create us to walk like everybody else. He didn't create us to talk like everybody else. He didn't create us to be everybody else. Each of us, the Bible says, are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're one of a kind, people. Each of us are one of a kind. Which means the work and mission and destiny that God has for your life, nobody else can achieve that. Except you. 
And the fact that you're still here today means that God is not through with you yet. So it says in Romans 6 in a situation like that, beginning with verse 12 and going through verse 14. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and its lust and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you but you are not under the law and here's the word but under grace God already knew that we were going to blow it but he equipped us to overcome it through his word and through understanding whose we are and the purpose that we serve. If you look in the book of Revelation, it talks about the 144,000 individuals that are under the altar. And people are asking the question, well, who are they? And the answer is, they're ones that overcame by the blood of the lamb and by what? The words of their testimony can't have a testimony without a root word. One thing I learned in English, because I got my degree, my bachelor's in communication, every compound word has a root word. Testimony is a compound word. You know what the root word is in testimony? The root word in testimony is test. We all have to be tested in some way, which means the specs that God placed in you and I to be who we are as you and I have to be tested in order to prove that we are who we say we are. Many times we miss it and, and stop following the leader because the enemy will allow uh, amnesia to come in, spiritual amnesia to come in. We forget who we are. We have to remember just who we are and whose we are, which leads me to the last point in them none. The last way that we follow the lead of the Father to effectively win souls for the kingdom is by rejoicing and knowing that our leader is guiding us to victory at all times. Amen. Amen. A good leader presents what we call at work a with him. What's in it for me? A good leader is always letting the people that he or she is leading know what's in it for them. Because if a person sees that there's benefit for them in doing what it is that they're doing, they're more apt to not only do it, but they're more apt to do it with passion, and the more apt to do it to the best of their ability. In your life, have you ever found yourself in situations, be it at work or at home or in sports or whatever, where you were just going through the motions, you were just doing what you had to do because you had to do it to get past that point in time? I know that I'm guilty of doing that. I'll just go through the motions sometimes just to get it out of the way because it's not something I want to do. It's something I have to do. I view it as a chore instead of an experience. Far too many of us live this life that's called salvation as a chore and we're not experiencing the benefits and the blessings that come with walking in a way that pleases God. They realize that here because in Psalm 119, when David wrote this passage of scripture, he wrote it at a turning point in the lives of the children of Israel. That's why he wrote, order my steps in your word and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. 
He wrote it because he knew that once that transition took place, they were going to stop just going through the motions of life. They were going to start experiencing the fullness of who God is. God takes us through this point and he's letting us know, I want you to follow me because I'm leading you somewhere. I'm leading you to a place where my word says they're, they're, the streets are paved with gold. I'm leading you to a place, my word says, where there'll be no more sickness, where there'll be no more death. Like the hymn writer wrote, the wicked will cease from troubling and the weary will be at rest. I'm leading you to a place where there's a mansion with your name on it. I'm leading you to a place where your loved ones that knew me and died in me are waiting to greet you. They're not diseased anymore. They're not minus limbs anymore. They're not minus parts anymore. They're not dealing with ailments anymore. They're rejoicing and praising me. I'm leading you to a place where you don't have to worry about punching a time clock. You don't have to worry about getting up. You don't have to worry about having this degree or that degree or having these letters behind your name. All you have to do is worship me and experience the fullness of what I have for you. God desires us to know that he's leading us somewhere. And a good leader constantly keeps the with him in front of you. And God is the, the, the prototype. He's a leader of leaders. So he constantly keeps what he has for us, before us, in and through his word. Jesus said that the works that you see me do, greater works than these, you'll do. Not only greater in number, greater in magnitude. Because relationally and proportionately, what we do in these last days are going to be bigger in magnitude than what Christ did. It does not make us supersede Christ in any way, shape, or form. Because when people ask how'd you do that, we should just let people know, I'm simply following the one. I'm simply following the one who said, follow me. That's all I'm doing. I'm a, like, like it's been said millions of times by millions of preachers. I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I'm not doing this for accolade. I'm not doing this for the money. I'm not doing this for the fame. I'm doing this because I'm following the one that I'm seeing doing it. I'm doing what my father's doing. As a son, that was one thing I used to try to emulate as best I could. And I tell my boys... In, in a thousand lifetimes, I could never be half the man that my father's been in my life. But everything that daddy did in my own way, I tried to emulate in my own life. You know? Because imitation I'm finding really is the highest form of flattery. That's basically man's way of saying that the best way to worship the father is by doing what he does. Jesus was our prototype and our example of how we were to live. Jesus did what the Father said do. Whatever the Father told Jesus to do, he did. If Jesus didn't know what to do, he stopped right where he was and prayed for direction. In the Garden of Gethsemane, even when the Father told him what to do, his flesh kicked in for a minute. If there's any way that I can do this any other way, God, please let me know. But he got right back in line. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus lived out in practice what David wrote back in the 37th Psalm at verse 23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. The steps of a good man, good is a reflection of God, or the steps of a man that aspires to reflect God are ordered by the Father. And he 
the man that seeks to reflect God delights in the father's way. Why? Because the father's way is always leading home. One thing daddy always taught me and my sisters is that no matter where you go, always know your way home. Because even if you get lost, if you can find, for me, I interpreted it, learn the main streets to get you back home. When I started working in Chicago, and I grew up in the suburbs, I knew nothing about Chicago. But what I did is I sat down and learned the grid. And because I learned the grid, no matter where I am in the city, I can always find my way home. Because I understand that roads, can, roads always run two ways. They run towards your destiny, or they run away from your destiny. The enemy's job is to keep you constantly moving away from your destiny. Because the further you move away from God, the easier it is for him to pick you off. But understand, because we're creatures of choice, we can choose which direction we want to go. And many times a road back to him uh, is, is a road filled with, with, with uh, um, strife. It is filled with contention. It's filled with opposition because the enemy doesn't want us to get back to God. But it's in those times we have to press our way even more. Press in on God. And focus like never before on following him. If I can just continue to see the back of my father, that's all I need to see. I couldn't take no more. The Bible says if you saw any more of him, you'd drop dead. As long as I can see his silhouette and what direction he's moving, as long as I can find you, Father, in the midst of my situation and be drawn to you, you'll draw everybody else. Whatever it is God has called you to do, whatever impact he's called you to make in life, you don't have to know how to do it. You don't have to have the letters behind your name. You don't have to have the large cathedral. You don't have to have the massive following. You don't have to have all the money. All you have to have is a sense of direction and knowing where the Father is and a willingness to be led. The old hymn said, where he leads me, I'll follow. He might lead me through the waters, but the waters are never going to be above where I can't breathe. He may lead me through the fire, but I'm not going to be consumed in the midst of it because he's with me. He may lead me through the valley of the shadow of death, but because he's with me, I'm not going to perish. Wherever he leads me, I'll follow because I'm going to be with him, like the song says, all the way. Because when we get to our destination, we'll be home. We'll be in glory. We'll be at that place where the work is over. We'll be at that place where he can then turn around and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We'll be at a place where now we can sit down and talk about what happened and rejoice in looking at how we overcame instead of wondering how we came to this point. See, God is calling us to play again. If you stop playing, he's saying play again. He's giving you another opportunity to play. He's given you a free token to play. All you need to play and follow the leader is a willingness to follow. You don't need no equipment. You don't need a PlayStation 4. You don't need a bat. You don't need a glove. You don't need a mitt. You don't need a bike. All you need is a spirit that's willing to say yes. God is looking for yes men and women. He's looking for yes men and women that will say yes to following him. Because as we follow the leader the Lord will lead us to places in a way that eyes have not seen nor ears heard 
nor has it even entered into our hearts what he has prepared for us because our following of him is our worship and our showing of him and the world that we love him amen amen, amen.